Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Friday Show on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I am here today with beat reporter for the Chicago Blackhawks for NBC Sports Chicago, Charlie Romeliotis. Charlie, how you doing? What's up, Shaylin? How's it going? It's going good. We're kind of in the dog days of summer here where we don't really have too much happening after free agency, and it's kind of like a dead period in August until you hit training camp in the middle of September. But, you know, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. It's it's been a very busy, like hockey season ended in late June with the Stanley Cup final, but it feels like the off season has been forever, but so much has happened since. So I'm very much looking forward to August and unplugging for a little bit after the convention. Yes, yes. And so good thing you bring up the convention. This week is convention week. Uh, you're going to be hearing this podcast on Friday, which is going to be the first day of the convention. Um, but we can start there and then we'll dive into a couple other things that have happened over the off season for the Blackhawks. So have you ever been to the convention as either a fan or with NBC Sports Chicago? I have. Yep. I've been to multiple conventions. Um, last year I wasn't there because I, I was, I was taking a trip to Greece, uh, but this year I will be there. I made sure to plan any trips around the convention just in case anything like another trade or some signings happen, but the convention week is always a fun time to interact with fans. So what are some, there are, there obviously are some new additions that are coming. They do have a virtual reality thing, which looks really cool. You can design your own puck. Uh, we were talking about an escape room that, do, that they're doing, but what are you, what are kind of like your, like, you got to do this? Well, that emergency goalie thing really caught my eye when the press release came out. And I think we were, we were talking about it before we came on here. I think we're both going to try to try to do that this week. Um, so it should be it should be fun. They do a, they do a lot of good work in that in that play area with uh, with fans. So uh, it should be a fun time. Yeah. And so I've been this will be my third year attending um, and. I think it's been going for 13, I think maybe 12 or 13 years this will be. Um, and I actually went to the 10th anniversary one, which is pretty cool. I think that was 2018. So this might be, or no, that was 2017. So this might be the 11th or 12th year, whatever it is. But there are a couple things if you guys are heading to the convention this weekend. Uh, make sure that you get your act, your passes activated. Make sure you pick up your backpacks. Get there early. Lines are super long. Know, know where you're supposed to be parking because you can't park at the hotel. I figured that out my first year. You have to like yep. use Spot Hero or park on the street, do all that kind of good stuff. Um, but also, Charlie will be there. So if you see Charlie, <laughs> say hi. If you see me, That's you right. probably don't know what I look like, but say hi anyway. <laughs> I was saying this to Megan. I was saying, you know, I don't think we're popular enough to have like people recognize us, but maybe people that do listen are like, oh, hey, because our, our picture's on the cover of our podcast. So I was like, maybe people will recognize us. Uh, but going back to last week, the Blackhawks did have their development camp for their prospects um, and players, and it was a week long. It was a week long event. 
Uh, they had players that were on the ice, players that were off the ice, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I didn't get the chance to go down there, but Charlie was there covering it all week. So what were some of the standouts and kind of things that you noticed from development camp this past week? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, obviously, Adam Bonquist and Kirby Doc were the two guys that really jumped off the page for me. And it wasn't just a scrimmage when they, they put on a, a highlight reel show. It was really all week. They looked far above the rest of the competition. And they should be because they were drafted so high. They were both top 10 picks. And especially Kirby was eighth overall. And I thought even Alex Nylander stood out as a guy that was very clearly his talent level was on, a, on another level compared to all the rest of the players. Now, obviously, his work ethic has been questioned throughout his career, and um, you can even see it a little bit in the scrimmage where he didn't look as engaged as some of the some of the other prospects that were really trying to make a strong first impression. But his talent level is so high that like you just notice him on the ice, and good things happen when he is on the ice. So I thought those three players were were really uh, they really jumped off the page for me. And then Ian Mitchell is a guy we've been talking about for for years, and. Obviously, there's that whole he's going back to college for his junior season and Blackhawks fans are maybe worrying that this could be another Kevin Hayes situation. And I talked to him the first day of camp because I knew that was going to be a hot topic and he couldn't have been more adamant that he plans to sign with the Blackhawks. So I don't think there should be any concern there. The worry should start if he does go back for a senior season at Denver because the Blackhawks feel like he's pro ready right now. And I think Ian knows that he's going to be pro ready next year. So if he does go into a senior season at Denver, that's when you can start wondering, okay, you know, could could this happen or whatnot? But I don't think we're at that point yet. But those four guys for me jumped off the page. Yeah, and I was reading later in the week about Stan, uh, Stan Bowman saying that he thinks that Adam Boquist could be pro-ready within this upcoming year. Do you think he has a chance to make it out of camp this year and stay up past that, like, nine-game period that they give him at the beginning of the year? I, I don't know. if I don't think he's going to make the team out of camp, but I mm-hmm. do think the fact that he – is likely going to start the year in Rockford is a very good thing for the Blackhawks because they can call him up at any point. Like if he went back to London for a second season, there's no way they're going to yank him out of juniors early. Like he's going to play that full year. Whereas if he's progressing to a point where it's like, he's one of the best defensemen in Rockford and he is very clearly ahead of the curve in development wise, like they can call him up at any point and be like, we got to get this guy in the roster. And injuries are going to happen. Like guys are going to get hurt. The Hawks were a relatively healthy team last year. So I, I don't maybe expect that to be the case again next year. Like you're going to have some bumps and bruises along the way. And if Boquist is a guy that it's kind of weird because when he was drafted last year, like he even said, he's like, I'm not going to be ready for two to three years. And it was like, Oh, okay. What? I mean, yeah, that's that. I, that makes sense because he was 17 at the time and we were looking at him and I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's so tiny. And then this past week you see him and he's like, wow, he's definitely more physically built. His confidence. He's certainly not lacking. And then you saw in the scrimmage, he was very clearly his talent is just separated from from the pack. So I could certainly see a scenario where he does play maybe at least nine games this year. But the, the Hawks aren't going to hesitate if he's one of the two, if he's one of the guys that could help this year. Like they have no problem burning that first year of his entry level contract because you saw what Cameron Carr did for Colorado in the playoffs. I know he jumped on 
in the playoffs, but like he added a completely different dimension to that team. So if Adam can do the same this year, like they, they won't hesitate to do it. Yeah, and that's something I like how you brought up Kale McCarr too, because there were conversations last year about, oh, well, he's burning that first year by just playing a handful of games. But Colorado made it to the second round and they made it deep in the second round and they lost kind of on a controversial call that happened throughout the playoffs. So I don't think it was for a lack of them like getting swept. I don't think it was for them not trying. They have a really and they and they only got better this year, Colorado did. So I I really like that comparison that you made there because I kind of think that like especially after losing Yogi Haru in that trade with uh, Nylander for, from Buffalo, I think it's we do have some defensemen that are on their way out in the next couple of years, and Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. But we do have a lot of young guys that are coming up, and our defensive prospects pool is pretty pretty deep right now. So I think that's a good it's a good thing as well. And obviously Kirby Doc, I I had heard things that Kirby Doc was not going to be ready for the NHL this year, but maybe next year. I don't is he. Is he eligible to go back to the WHL? Is he going to play with Saskatoon, or is he? What's yeah? He would. On him? Yeah, he would. Yeah, I would imagine he goes back to juniors um, if he doesn't make the, the Hawks out of training camp. Mm-hmm. But it's it's certainly it's going to be interesting. Like it. Like if you're asking me if Kirby Doc can make the NHL this year, absolutely. Like he can be one of the twelve best guys on the Blackhawks or the, the twelve best forwards. But it's a matter of how you want to play it because you look at like you don't want to you don't you don't want Kirby Doc to make the team and then he's he's sitting on your third line center all year and he's not playing any special teams and he's getting 13, 14 minutes a night. Like that's, that's a guy. He was drafted number three overall. He's been playing heavy minutes in every situation his entire career. So if that's the case, send him back to juniors. You're better off doing that. Let him, let him develop as a, as a first line player. So then when he does make that transition to the Blackhawks, he could be a top six guy. So I, I can see maybe the Hawks flirting with the idea of giving him a nine game tryout or at least, somewhere in that range and giving him a long look in, in training camp and then maybe setting him back. But I, I really wouldn't rule out him making the team or not making the team. Like I think everything is on the table. Kirby says he wants to make it as difficult as possible on the Hawks. And I think the Hawks said, well, we're going to give him every chance to do so. So I think everything is on the table when it comes to that. That's pretty exciting too, especially after some of the highlight videos I saw. I was just like, like the one where he lifted the stick and it was just, oh, yeah. it was next level stuff that I was like, okay, this is, this is why we picked him third. This is why we picked him third overall. Uh, but also from the draft, so you did get to go to Vancouver and cover the draft, which is pretty cool. So just kind of starting off there, how it, like the city of Vancouver, I've heard is just beautiful, and to have the draft there was super cool. So kind of how was your experience with that? Oh, it was great. I've never been to Vancouver before, but I'm. You always hear uh, NHL players they get interviewed for these side polls, and they're like, "What's your favorite road city?" And like Vancouver is all we're always like an overwhelming favorite. So I think uh, I think Vancouver was 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 really solid. Um, the The draft itself was a little surprising because the I guess we knew what was going to happen with the first and second overall picks, but then after three is when when the draft really started with the Blackhawks. So. Uh, it was a fun time. Vancouver was certainly a fun time. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was cool to see like all the updates and everything like that from the draft because I I got to go to the draft when it was here in Chicago and that was probably one of the coolest experiences. So if any of you are in Montreal next year, I actually am trying to plan a trip to go to Montreal. I've never been. I want to go to the draft. That would be just 
awesome. But the draft is a really cool experience, not not even just for the first round, because the first round is kind of what gets all of the media attention. It's and it's the full the full first day, the full Friday is just the first round. And then the second day is rounds two through seven. So you're you're flying the second day. But the first day is pretty exciting because you see all the big names go off the board and you're like, okay, well, who slipped to the second round, blah, blah, blah. The Hawks did have a second round pick and we did choose Alex Vlasic, who is a local hometown kid. Um, do you have anything on him and kind of his, I don't know, I would say his projection outline? I will say the Hawks are really, really high on him in a sense that he is going to be a guy that complements their offensive-minded prospect, defenseman prospects very well because he's a defensive-minded guy. He's six foot six, like he's got a large frame. They really feel like we. He was uh, Stan Bowman was asked about his skating because obviously when you're that big, like skating might be an issue uh, for that kind of a player. And, and they thought he was way ahead of the curve when it comes to his skating progression and and the fact that he has such a large frame that he takes up so much ice. The Hawks actually had him on their draft board going in the first round. So the fact that he fell in the second round to them, like they, they feel, they really feel like they did get two first round picks in this past draft. Yeah. And that's, and it's super exciting too, because I think both of the guys that they got, like as in doc and, and the first and second round doc and Vlasic, they're big guys. And I think that's a thing that the Blackhawks, they have, they have it in Jonathan Taves and Dylan Strom for sure. And they, they had it in an Artem Anisimov who we'll talk about, but I kind of feel like John Hayden was a big guy. We also traded him, and it's kind of, I don't know, Brent Seabrook's a big guy too, but I think having guys that aren't big in the sense that they just run around and ram guys into the boards, but they can play a good, like, highly skilled game and a high, like, they have a high hockey IQ in that sense, I think that's really good because they can take up more space and their sticks are so long that it's like they can they can reach in those corners and get those pucks out, which I think is really good. So um, is there anything you think the Hawks could have done better in this year's draft, or do you think we kind of they kind of did what is best for the organization? Yeah, I, I don't know enough about the guys to comment whether – and I think it's way too early for us to make judgments on – you know, even development camp, you look at, you know, some of their later-round picks and, um, you know, it, it's hard to, like, judge right now, but they did – we asked Mark Kelly and Stan Bowman this also after the draft. Like, you're, the draft was six players. Like, all of them have, are six foot six or six foot and, and above. Like, they're all size. And, and the Hawks said they didn't target that specifically. It just happened that way. But you certainly like to see that they add size to the organization because they have been preaching playing regular season and playoff kind of style of hockey. So, um, overall, in that sense, I feel like they it was a success given where the NHL has trended, but also knowing that they have to play that gritty style in the playoffs. Yeah. So kind of transferring over here to uh, players that the Blackhawks have acquired either by free agency or trades, and they've been pretty active this offseason. So it started with Ole Mata uh, from Pittsburgh. Then we acquired Ryan Carpenter from the Vegas Golden Knights. We signed Robin Leonard, Vezina finalist this past year from the New York Islanders, Traded for Andrew Shaw back, traded for Alexander Nylander, and then most recently traded for Zach Smith. So the biggest one that I kind of want to touch on here is the signing of Robin Leonard and kind of what that means with Corey Crawford. And the the way that we were kind of looking at it is that I, I a lot of people were seeing it as like a red flag that Crawford is not really the best health-wise just due to his concussions the past year. But I kind of see it in a way of like kind of like an NBA style, like um, I'm trying to think of the word right now, load management. It's like load management. <laughs> it's like you don't have to play your starter 
uh, like over 60% of the games and then play your player uh, backup around 40% or even like an 80, 20, like you can, you can kind of split it down the middle and you have two guys that are bona fide starters that know how to start, know how to own the net. And I think that's really good for that. But I wanted to get your take on that as well. Yeah. If you look at the NHL, just the last couple of years, even um, like even with Washington, Braden Holpe and, Andre Vasilevsky, not this past season, but the previous year. And then Freddie Anderson, like all those goalies, when they were trying to take the, when those teams are trying to take the next step, like Freddie Anderson, Vasilevsky, those guys are starting like 65, possibly 70 starts a year. And that is way too much for a goalie in today's NHL. And I do think part of this is we do want to have some load management with Crawford and we just want to go into the playoffs healthy and um, with two goaltenders. But I also think it is there are there are possible long term ramifications here where Crawford obviously hasn't played uh, a full season in two straight years now because with with his concussion issues and knowing that his contract does expire at the end of this coming season. Same with Leonard is on a one year deal like this could be a situation where if Crawford doesn't get through the season healthy like they might be forced into a decision where we might have to sign Robin Leonard to a long term extension even if the Hawks really feel like they want to continue um, re-signing Crawford, like I, I, I could, I was envisioning the Blackhawks doing what Nashville did with Pecorine and UC Saros, where Corey Crawford signs maybe like a two or three year extension, and then they have Colin Delia waiting in the wings, and they just keep progress. Like you, you would need those two goaltenders, but I think if if Crawford doesn't make it out healthy, or if he he goes through his bumps and bruises along the way. For this coming season, like they, the Hawks might be forced into a decision where they do have to take a look at Lanner as a potential long-term option. But for this season alone, it is, I mean, I couldn't tell you. I think this is the most important free agent signing, most important acquisition that the Blackhawks could have made just because they're going to have a chance to win every single night. Like it's not going to be, oh, even Corey Crawford goes down again. They're going to have a Vezina Trophy finalist as a potential backup. So like, this is crucial for the psyche of the entire team because remember two years ago when Crawford went down, like that just deflated the team. Like it was December and they, they you you could just see it. They spiraled from there. So that that isn't going to be the case this season where if something they they have some protection or insurance there with with Leonard. And that's that was a really good way to put it too, protection or insurance because I remember the first time he went down, we didn't have like a solid plan B. I kind of feel like it was like, "Oh, oh, Crawford is supposed to be our starter and we didn't really anticipate for this and some guys aren't ready that we have waiting to come in." And I think last year too when he went down, I think Colin Delia did a pretty good job of taking over and playing a, a have much more games than he was used to. Um, and he, he is kind of the starter in Rockford, and he is the guy down there, but it's different at the NHL level for sure. So I think that was really good insurance for them to get him, and it makes me super excited too because I do like Robin Leonard's game just in general. So I think that was a, that was a pretty big signing. But also the trade uh, to get Andrew Shaw back from the Montreal Canadiens after we traded him three years ago. Um, he is, he does kind of have kind of a high cap hit, um, but he's not 30 yet, I believe. I think he just turned 28 or just turned 27. Yep. So, 28. yeah, so he's still a pretty young guy. And I think the biggest thing here is that he gels really well with a majority of the, the room. There are some guys that he hasn't played with before, but Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Corey Crawford, like he's all really good friends with them and that he also plays really well with them and he was he was really productive for us when we had him like all those playoff runs those last two ones that we had 
where he was he was a big guy. Like he was a big role player in that in the bottom six. So kind of how he slots back in now after spending three the last three seasons in uh, Montreal. Yeah, well, they didn't want to trade him in the first place, but they had to because obviously for financial reasons. And it turned out okay because they ended up getting Alex DeBrinker with the second-round pick yeah. that they uh, you know, acquired in return. But the Hawks are thrilled. The Hawks are viewing this as – it's essentially a three-year deal for Andrew Shaw on a $3.9 million cap hit. Like, that is very fair, especially he's only 28 years old. He's not like, you know, you look at what the free agents went for. Like, if you're on the free agent market, you're hitting 28, 29 years old, and you're getting a long-term extension. And the Hawks didn't want to do that. So the fact that they could go out and get in a, an Andrew Shaw-type player where he uh, he checks a lot of the boxes that the Hawks are were striving to get this summer, where gritty player can play anywhere in the lineup can play wing can play center can play special teams can be your net from presence on the power play or just even five on five like and the, some people that are saying like oh like they're bringing back another old player that might not work it's like well the, the the players that the hawks traditionally have brought back have been older and at the end of their careers like andrew shaw is at the prime of his career and he does play a gritty style like he, he he's probably not going to play a full 82 game season because he's going to go through his bumps and bruises it's tough to play like that on an on a nightly basis, but he's certainly a guy that checks a lot of the boxes that they've been looking for. And I think it could be an, a very underrated impact for the Hawks this coming season and, and just the next two years too. And as a, from a fan perspective too, kind of being a little <laughs> selfish, I am so excited because Andrew Shaw, like, especially if you're kind of around my age or like younger than me, like late teens, Andrew Shaw came in and really put himself on the stage in that 2013 playoff series. Like I, the picture that whenever I think of Andrew Shaw, I think of the image of him holding the Stanley cup with the gash on his face and the blood running down. I'm like, that is just the sickest picture. Like, and it really just shows like you, he puts his body on the line every single night for his teammates, for the game, for the Blackhawks. And I think that's super important too, to have. And I, we have a Shaw jersey in our house. My sister and I share it. I'm wearing it to day one of the convention. Like, it's going to be – I'm very excited about it, too. So that's really exciting. But uh, wrapping up the Blackhawks segment here, kind of looking forward to 2019-20, this upcoming season. Um, and we got training camp coming up in September, I believe. The training camp festival is on the 15th? The Sunday, right? I think so. I think that's what I heard. Uh, uh I haven't looked that far in yet. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to get through July. Yes. No, <laughs> July and – so – it was, it's, it's funny cause usually it's on like a Saturday. And so I was like, Sundays are my days to not do anything. So I was like, this is perfect. It'll fit right into the schedule, but kind of going forward next season. Um, it's kind of obviously known that Jonathan Taves will be first line center. Dylan Strom will slot in on the second line, but from there, the bottom six can kind of get a little bit like a little jumbled if you really want to. I mean, we have Matt, we, uh, we just signed Ryan Carpenter or just acquired Ryan Carpenter, who is also a center and he can play in that third line role until Kirby doc kind of maybe jumps in. Um, and then David Camp, who I really liked at fourth line center last year. I think he did a really, really good job there. Um, but kind of shaking it out, like Taves, Taves always has a revolving door of, of wingers, but I think Brandon Saad has been really good for him coming back after his first season that he came back. He wasn't uh, great production wise, but he really did pick it up last season, but kind of going forward, like how do you kind of see the lineup shaking out a little bit? That is a very good question and something I have been trying to figure out uh, all summer long. And, and I, I kind of wanted to wait till I, I was kind of uh, expected that Anisimov was going to get traded. So I was kind of waiting for that domino to fall and see how maybe the third line could shake out. Um, but I do think it was telling that 
uh, Stan Bowman during his conference call on, on one of the trades. I can't remember which one it was, but said that uh, I think it was the Alex Nylander one said that he basically hinted that Taves and Kane worked really well together and they're probably going to start the year. And then Debrinkin and Strom are going to start the year also. And Stan was basically saying it's up to us to try to find the left winger for Taves and Kane and the right winger for Debrinkin and Strom. So it, that tells me that Saad is probably going to start this season on the third line. Third line center is TBD. Like it seems like it's that's up in the air. And then you have this revolving door. You have you have like like three or four players that are vying for one position in like Dominic Kubalik and the Swedish forward Antoine Wadin and Dylan Sakura and they haven't even signed Brendan Perlini yet. So like all these guys are vying for the same position and and you think that these are players that are going to take the next step and that they should have larger roles and even Stan Bowman during a free agency um, or I think when they acquired uh, Olimata when Dominic Cahoon got traded there he singled out Kubalik and Dylan Sakura as guys that are expected to have larger roles so like what does that mean for Brendan Perlini what does that mean for guy I mean the, the and you you bring in Alex Nylander into the equation who's expected to compete for a roster spot and where does that all fit in so I think the Hawks really um, enjoy that kind of internal competition because they know that they have to be Jeremy Colleton says 25 26 27 players deep but at the same time, these are guys that are further along in their development. So you want guys like Dylan Sakura taking the next step in the NHL, not going back to Rockford for the second or third straight year. And, you know, you're kind of stunting his growth a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a, it's probably going to be a little bit quieter of an offseason from here on into training camp. But maybe in training camp, September is when we see lineups get shuffled because teams around the league are realizing you know, oh, we have a young guy that's emerging as a, a camp star, and you know maybe this pushes somebody else out. And you got teams trying to get under the cap too, so um, we'll see how it all shakes out. But the, the opening day lineup is going to be a fascinating one because it's certainly, I mean, you any 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 expert trying to project lines right now is just doing so blindly out of a hat. Like I don't know as much as you do, or vice versa. So it'll be it'll be fun. That's part of the fun, right? Right, exactly, and. On the blue line, too, totally forgot that we acquired Calvin DeHaan, who I actually forgot about him yesterday, too, when I was recording our podcast. But I feel like the blue line, too, like you can't, like especially the Blackhawks blue line, like you can't predict who's going to be paired with who because I feel like it's a different pairing every single night. Like sometimes you put the old Keith and Seabrook pairing together and that works. Or sometimes you have Keith with Gustafson or Seabrook with Gustafson and then you got Murphy and where all these other guys slot in. So it's it's really fun to try and think about that in that way. But um from there, let's move into a little bit of NHL news uh, and NHL happenings from the offseason. So the 2019 playoffs were a doozy, and I feel like we've talked about them just at, like, nauseam. But they honestly were very telling of what's, what changes are going to be coming and in the NHL. And Gary Bettman did talk about them and saying, oh, well, we'll have expanded video review and... Um, we do the, the NHL does have a collective bargaining agreement coming up with the NHLPA, which can threaten a lockout within the coming years, but everyone's saying that there's not going to be a lockout. So fingers crossed that there will not be, but, uh, kind of your take on the 2019 playoffs and just how it kind of all shook out for you and what you kind of took away from that. Yeah, I think video review was definitely the big one, uh, because it obviously that Sharks Vegas game really set the tone in the first round and that game seven and. The fact that uh, they scored, however, what is it, four power play goals and mm -hmm. that, or three, four, five, whatever it was, to tie it up. And then uh, Vegas ended up tying it back up in the final minute. But obviously the Sharks won. And then the same thing happened in that in the Colorado series. So the video reviews 
stood out. And I, I do like the change that they made where every, uh, you know, every missed challenge is going to be, you know, you, you get it, it's a penalty. And if you miss it again, it's going to be a double minor. So like that really eliminates the fact that some some coaches were just trying to, you know, they're like, oh, we got nothing to lose. Might as well challenge it because it's, you know, it's ticky tacky, whatever. But now there's a consequence if you if you challenge it's it's going to be a penalty if you get it wrong and so teams are going to be more aware because they don't want that black and white or they, they don't want that gray area they want it to be black and white if you if they certainly missed a, a say an offside car or a goal interference or if they didn't so but the playoffs was really fun like it was full of upsets um i think the, the tampa bay series really set the tone like as soon as columbus won that series you're like this playoffs is about to is, is about to get really weird and it did so uh, that's the fun part about the uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs is it's so unpredictable and and now more than ever, anything can happen if you just get in because the eight seed, like years ago, the eight seed probably didn't feel like they had a shot, but now like Columbus beating Tampa Bay and like the, if you if you're the eight seed, the, the discrepancy between the one and the eight, I mean Tampa Bay just had the best regular season ever out of mm-hmm. out of any you know what I mean so the eight seed if if Columbus can beat one of the best teams in regular season in the history of the game, like any eight seed is going into the playoffs with confidence. So I think that's the, the fun part about the, the playoffs. And that's that I agree with that too, because I am a fan of chaos. And as soon as the Blackhawks, we knew weren't going to be making the playoffs. I was like, okay, the pressure's kind of off because I do have other teams that I like and that I like to watch. And then I enjoy players on those teams. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll watch this series, but I'm not like super invested in it. And my good friend, uh, Megan, who I do the podcast with, she's from Raleigh. So she also has partial, partial, uh, um, ties to the Carolina Hurricanes and especially this past season when they had like a record season with the storm surge and everything like that. She followed them super close all the way until they lost in the Easter conference final. But I think the final, like everyone, every round, it was really fun because every round was like, okay, the Tampa Bay is for sure going to win this round. And then Columbus was like, nope. And I think that's how it was for every round. The, the team that wasn't slated to win won. And that's the best part about it. And there's so much, there's so much parody and there's so like, and people say that all the time, but there really is like, it's, it's a system where, and a lot of people complain about the hard cap, but it's a system where every team has a chance to be competitive and every team has a chance to win the cup. And that's what makes it super fun. And I am not a St. Louis fan by any means because I am from Chicago. I am bred to not like St. Louis sports, but they won the cup and it was, it was super cool to see because it was like, I wouldn't call it a Cinderella story, but I would call it more of like a, like not really a dream team, but all of the pieces just fit together and everything came together at the exact right time. And it was really cool to see like, okay, you, you make one addition here or you subtract something here and then it's like the perfect formula and you go on this and crazy, crazy, incredible run. So that was super fun too. But, um, from there, one last thing to talk about and touch on is free agency, uh, which has been crazy this year. Uh, just because yeah. I feel like there have been a lot of more, like every year there are big name free agents, but I feel like this year's pool was just massive and even ufas and rfas you have like mitch marner and brayden point and miko rantanen that still need to be signed as rfas and mitch marner is probably the biggest story of those three but free agency wise you know panarin signs with new york sergey bobrovsky goes to florida um eric carlson decides to stay in san jose so kind of what were your big takes takeaways from free agency and how the whole process kind of happened yeah, obviously Panarin and Bobrovsky were the two storylines that, that we were following closely because you felt like it was a domino effect. Like once those guys sign, then other teams get your teams are clearing cap space to try to make a run. And most notably, I mean, you can even tie it back to the Chicago is the New York Islanders. Like 
they were preparing to make a run at both Bobrovsky and Panarin. And if like they needed cap room. So the, the Islanders nearly lost Anders Lee because they were waiting out on Panarin and Bobrovsky. And they did lose out on Robin Lehner because Robin was kind of caught in between like, hey, am I re-signing or not? Because Lou Lamorello is trying to make the strongest bid for Bobrovsky. And Panarin, he needs the cap space to do it. So he couldn't sign any of those guys until he they got closure on that. So the Islanders are pretty lucky that they ended up getting Anders Lee re-signed and Simeon Varlamov. Uh, but it just goes to show you how like the domino effect was Panarin and Bobrovsky. And Panarin, uh, a little bit surprising that he went to the Rangers just because I thought the whole Joel Quinville aspect would uh, help change his, you know, maybe I should go to Florida with Bobrovsky. And the fact that they have such a young team and they are a team that's on the rise and they're missing those those high-end superstars that are trying to be difference makers. And um, uh, But it, it was fascinating. And and I was surprised to see Dallas uh, get Land Pavelski and Corey Perry. Like, that's a team that's I thought was going to be was already on the upswing, especially with how far they got last season. But the fact that they just added a guy like Pavelski with his playoff pedigree and Corey Perry, who's on a very team-friendly deal with, with obviously performance bonuses. But the fact that Dallas did that and they have a Vezina Trophy-type um, goaltender in that, they're going to be a very tough team to beat in the division next year. I kind of feel like Dallas is like the sleeper pick of the Central just because of those acquisitions, and they have been kind of gaining momentum the last couple years. They also made it pretty – I mean, they made it to the second round, and they lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champion, so, like, you can't really – but I think, too – the New Jersey Devils are also going to be a very, like, just yeah. under the radar. Like, Ray Shiro has been having himself an offseason. You pick Jack Hughes first overall. You acquire P.K. Subban. Like, you, he's having, he's kind of making moves, and, and it's kind of it's kind of leaning towards sounding like they might be re-signing Taylor Hall. And then he's, because he's also kind of been, like, you haven't really heard anything about him, but he's also not saying either way what he's going to be doing, and he needs an extension. So I kind of think that they... Like the last couple of seasons, I feel like it's always New Jersey or Florida that are like bound to be like the dark horse pick. Like no one really knows what they're going to do. They might be really good. And I also think Vancouver kind of falls into that. Vancouver's had a very strange off season, like with with just who they've been re-signing and, and, and acquiring. And they do have young prospects coming up in the system too there. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be super fun. And like the there was a I think NHL.com did like power rankings yesterday like offseason power rankings and I was like you you physically can't like determine how these teams are gonna look because they could still do so many more additions they can have still have so many more subtractions to the roster players in their system that make the team out of camp so it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out but those are some of the teams that I'm kind of looking at especially in the Pacific because the Pacific is like you got Vegas San Jose and Calgary and those are like kind of locks for the top three if they stay the way they are or, or improve and then it's just kind of like well Arizona got Phil Kessel and maybe they'll do something and Vancouver and Edmonton what's Edmonton gonna do so yeah it's been super it's fun very, it's very crazy to see the motives of the teams of the GMs around the league like New Jersey like they're making these moves solely because they need to sell to Taylor Hall. Like you need to sign here long term, and Vancouver. Like that's those moves are being made by a GM that knows he's on the hot seat. You know, mm-hmm. so like he's got to compete right away. And then you look at Edmonton. Like, I mean, we're trying to they're trying to maximize the Conor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl window. And then you look at the New York Rangers, and that's a team that's they they're rebuilding, but they want to rebuild quickly. So they get. Capo Caco, they get uh, Jacob Truba, who they just re-signed, and that they're trying to do that because they want to maximize 
the Henrik Lundqvist window, you know? So it's like all these moves are being made specifically for different reasons. You know, like the Hawks are trying to keep the, the Kane and Taves window open. They want to be, they still want to have long-term success in re-signing Strom and Dabrinkin and whatever. So the, you see all the moves and, and even the Sharks, you forget about the Sharks that like Eric Carlson uh, gets re-signed and you think like he's going somewhere else, but it's like, well, if Eric Carlson walks, like San Jose's done. Like San Jose's like got to rebuild. Because like that team is is aging uh, fairly quickly, so uh, yeah, it, it was an exciting free agency. And but honestly, I don't think the excite like, the excitement part has fully uh, like we still got all these RFAs to get signed, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the part. Like we're approaching you know end of July here, and a lot of the, the big name RFAs are still unsigned. So which free agents, which of those RFAs are going to go into training camp without? You know, you saw what happened with Willie, uh, William Nylander in Toronto where, like, he doesn't play training camp and he doesn't play the first couple months of the season. And then, like, he has a, a terrible year. And so I'm sure that's creeping into the minds of players, too. Where the longer they hold out, the more they, you know, the, the, it doesn't benefit the teams uh, for, for that. But at the same time, the, the, the team needs the player more than the player needs the team. So I think that's the interesting part of the entire equation. Yeah, and especially with Mitch Marner. I think Mitch Marner watch is like the biggest thing that's happening, especially with RFAs because there's so many different factors that are going into it. It's what Marner wants, and apparently his dad is involved and his agent, and we all know his agent, Darren Ferris, is just all over the news and, oh, my player needs this and my player needs that. So it makes it it makes for pretty exciting times. I agree with you there. So we'll see how the rest of it shakes out. Pretty excited to see, though. But uh, to wrap it up here, let's plug you a little bit. Where can people find your yeah. work, all that kind of stuff, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you get, whatever you post on? Yeah, obviously you can follow my, my work at NBC Sports Chicago. Um, my Twitter handle is at C-Rumeliotis, R-O-U-M-E-L-I-O-T-I-S. And I also have an Instagram page, which is just my first and last name, Charlie Rumeliotis. So, um, yeah, it'll be a fun uh, convention week. And then looking forward to some downtime and then getting right back into it for training camp and obviously the start of the season in October, which kicks off in Prague, which will be very fun. That's super exciting. And all of the games this upcoming season can be found on NBC Sports Chicago, correct? That's right. Yeah. We got, we're going to have every all 82 games, obviously aside from the national ones, and then pre and post games for each one of them. So it's a very exciting time for our company and the fact that we get to ramp up our Blackhawks coverage to a different level. Um, this season is going to be a lot of fun. So it should be uh, – exciting it should be an exciting time yeah and i actually i think from like day one i've had your twitter on tweet notification because every time something happens it's always like the blackhawks tweet it and then charlie tweets it right after so i was like i've got like i've got all my bases i have it's my off season is i I, it's no relaxing time i have elliot friedman john shannon chris johnston like all of the big name guys mark specter like i have all these big guys on tweet notifications so then when whenever it happens and especially elliot because elliot will always tweet it before it becomes official and i also have bob mckenzie who is now bobby margarita on tweet notifications so it makes it makes but it makes getting information because sometimes the nhl app or like other apps are super slow at getting the press release out so it's a lot easier to get it straight to your phone all that good stuff so be sure to follow him on all of his social medias. Follow his work. It's awesome. I read it every time he puts out an article. So it's super awesome. Um, but we thank you for coming on today. This was super awesome. Such a great conversation about stuff on the Blackhawks to NHL and all that good stuff. So we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and keep up the great work over there. All right. We'll talk to you soon.